This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of integration and guidance, Mark Nepo. We are so achievement-oriented that we often surge right by the true value of relating to what's before us because we think that accomplishing things will complete us when it is experiencing life that will. Yet if we can outlast the urge to judge everything we encounter, a miracle starts to surround us in which painting, music, poetry, running water, flowers, wind through the trees, open vistas, all touch and draw out their counterpart that lives quietly within us. The 19th century poet Gerard Manley Hopkins called this inner terrain inscape. And just as no landscape can flourish without sun and water, our inscape must be irrigated and drenched with many forms of life if we are to thrive. So when feeling stuck or disconnected from the miracle of life, as will happen to all of us, try to listen, see, feel, and just take in. Try to let the energies of life stir their counterparts within you. In order to be whole, suspend your criticism, for life is not a matter of taste, but of awakening, not a matter of finding things pleasing or disturbing, but of finding things completing, not a matter of liking or disliking, but of opening the geography of one's soul. A reading of scripture from Isaiah 58, 1 through 9. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and unite the cords of the yoke, to set up to set the sorry, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. 
Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew 5, 13 to 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown away and trampled underfoot by others. You are the light of the world. The city cannot be hidden when it is set on a mountain, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on its stand and it shines on everyone in the house. So let your light shine before people that they may see your good works and glorify your Father of the heavens. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And yes, I say to you, until the sky and the earth are gone, not one tiny iota or seraph will disappear from the law until all has been completed. Whoever breaks even the lightest of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be esteemed least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever performs and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I say to you, if you don't exceed the justice of the scholars and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. He was in the park trying to catch the colors. His easel wasn't quite firm. He was about to spread its legs a bit in the grass when he sensed someone coming from the fountain. The park was full of those who had nowhere to go. He thought, I just want to watch the light. The man kept coming. The painter moved closer to his canvas, poking his yellow brush intensely. He was skilled at looking busy. But the morning light was so disarming, it captured him in mid-stroke. Well, no dab of yellow could capture this. But it was then, between strokes, that the scruffy drifter sat in the grass right in the patch of light that he was painting. The artist kept watching the light which now crowned the homeless man's back. The drifter was attracting the light to him. It was impossible to concentrate. It wasn't fair. The morning would be wasted. It was then that the man sitting in the grass started talking to the painter who was trying to be polite. As he rambled, the painter was struck by the light filtering through his knotted hair and wondered if having no one let the ideas just grow out of your head. So he began to listen. The man with ideas growing out of his head asked the artist, why do you paint? The artist replied, it's all about the light. The man without a name offered freely, then you want to come back earlier and stand behind that oak about 10 minutes after sunrise. The painter was now unsure what to paint. He stood there, his yellow brush in hand, listening to his new friend who needed to be heard, who needed to hear himself, who wasn't so different after all. The painter dropped his shoulders and sat in the grass next to him. The day grew warmer and more people happened by. The man with ideas growing out of his head started having feelings growing out of his mouth. He spoke of lovers and friends and travels to the east 
and making and losing money and being lost for so long that he let go of coming and going. The light became unusually bright and the painter stood to cover his paints and when he turned, his new friend was gone like a bird that has suddenly flown once fed. You are the light of the world. Imagine hearing Jesus say this to his audience, which included perhaps a poor farmer who stepped away from the dusty fields for a moment, or a fisherman who just last week was patching a hole in his boat, or a mother with two hungry kids at her side, or a grandparent grieving the loss of a grandchild ripped away from their home and made to serve as a slave in a Roman household. You are the light of the world. Imagine hearing Jesus say this to you. Perhaps you're a teacher at a local school, sweating over your unfinished lesson plan. Or a waitress praying for extra tips this weekend so that you can pay rent. Or a migrant worker who's here for seasonal work in the local orchards. Or a single mom who's hoping the talk of government assistance being reduced isn't true. Or perhaps simply a human being who is keeping up with the news a little bit and just trying to take it one day at a time. You are the light of the world. We can imagine Jesus' original audience blurting out, What? Who? Us? Jesus? Are you kidding? Have you looked around at all? Pretty sure you're confusing us for somebody else. We don't have a lot of resources. We really don't have much leverage. And, you know, we might actually smell a little. You are the light of the world. If we hear Jesus, if we heard Jesus saying this to us, we too might react. What, us? We're just people trying to get along in the world, trying to navigate through life in these trying times. We have little resources, little leverage, almost no influence, and a few of us might even be having a bad hair day. It's easy to wonder what Jesus is saying or expecting of his audience, or even of us, as we read this passage. And remember, this is the same group that he just spoke the Beatitudes to. As we noted a week ago, the lowest of the low. People who are poor, hungry, devastated, broken, wandering and wondering whether God even cares. Jesus says God does care. He sees you and honors you. And he knows what you have in you. He made you. You have the very image of God in you. Underneath the dirt and the tunic and the sandals, underneath the shirt, the winter coat, that trendy scarf or stole, underneath the images that we construct to portray ourselves to the world in a certain way. Underneath all of that, you are a beautiful, unique, wonderful creation. And as Jesus uses this imagery of light, it's a powerful image, especially to those of us trying to get through a winter here in Michigan. 
Earlier this week, I think it was Wednesday, uh, we've had some sunshine, blessedly, these past few days. But I think it was Wednesday, and we had this just stretch of gray, you know, and it was just mm, yuck and dark and depressing. And it was getting later in the day, and I was doing some dishes and looking out of the backyard, and suddenly the sun came out, and I dropped my dishes and put on some shoes, and you put a coat on, just ran right out in the snow in the backyard and just stood there, you know, in the sun. I was just like, oh. And it lasted, I think, two minutes, and then a cloud came. <laughs> but those two minutes, amazing. It was like a warm bowl of soup and a hug from Grandma and a high five to my calculus professor all at once. I mean, that's how powerful that sunshine was, right? And Jesus is using that very imagery and saying, you are the light of the world. Really? Me? Us? I can imagine saying Jesus is the light of the world, or certainly that God is the source of all light, but me? feels like Jesus is being a bit heretical, or maybe just expecting a little bit too much from us. Yet there's a long spiritual tradition that notes that we are all made with a spark of the divine within us. St. Bonaventure and Bernard of Clairvaux, among others, speak of what they call the Sintalula. Sintalula. Sintalula? There won't be a quiz, so you don't have to. In other words, a word I can't pronounce very well, that means a small spark of the soul. Proverbs 20, 27 says, The spirit of the man is the candle of the Lord. And that has led some mystics to proclaim that a person's soul is a candle, a spark deriving from God's very light. And the great Jewish commentator Nachmanides said, Know yourselves, and you will know God. Know yourselves, and you will know God. You are the light of the world. Still, right, we have some reservations I mean, maybe some great historical figure, some great religious figure. And Jesus' audience would have been familiar with the story from the book of Sirach, also known as Ecclesiasticus, which tells of the high priest Simon, son of Onias, who was coming out of the temple. And the book describes this religious leader, right? This connection between the people and God as he comes out of the temple. It says he came out of the house of the curtain, that is the temple, And like the morning star among the clouds, like the full moon at the festal season, like the sun shining on the temple of the Most High, like the rainbow gleaming in splendid clouds. Pretty good language, right? And it goes on, actually. It's just this beautiful language to describe describe this religious leader. And so we can imagine the people saying, well, okay, maybe a designated person. Jesus, you could speak of that way. But us... And yet you can imagine Jesus looking them in the eye and saying, you, and you, and you, and you over there in the back, you are the light of the world. And when you shine, you light up the entire house. And all of you together can be like a city that can be seen on a hillside from far away. And this, of course, Jesus' audience is more of a rural community of folks there up in North Western Galilee, along the lake. But they know cities, right? 
Maybe they don't live in a city proper, but they've seen cities. Perhaps Sepphoris, just a few miles from Nazareth, or Tiberias along the, uh, along the Sea of Galilee, or across the sea, the Decapolis, this Roman town, or certainly Jerusalem. And they know that a city glows in a powerful way. Of course, we also have in the back of our minds when we hear that phrase, the use of that phrase in our own national political history, which perhaps... Uh, we might say misused, at least misused in the sense of when we identify ourselves as somehow uniquely special out of all the nations of the world, some special chosenness of God. So we want to sort of set that aside and maybe reclaim this beautiful imagery, right, of a group of people shining in a way that gives light. And so Jesus is reminding that it's not just an individual Shining. It's a communal shining, a communal calling. And in fact, as we read in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament scriptures, Israel was called to shine this light into the world. And so Jesus is calling them back to their heritage. All of you working together for my kingdom can bring incredible light into this world. And that's why Jesus in our text seems to be responding to wonderings whether he's getting rid of their tradition. And Jesus says, no, I'm calling you back to our tradition. And our tradition is not just a bunch of religious duties. It's not just going through a bunch of religious stuff. And in fact, as we heard read from the prophet Isaiah, God says, is not this the fast that I choose? And Instead of fast, you could substitute any sort of religious activity. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house and when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own family? And the prophet says, when you do these things, then your light will shine like the dawn. That is real religion, says Isaiah. That is how you shine your light, says Jesus. And the prophet goes on about our ruins being rebuilt, our bones being strengthened, our breaches repaired, our streets restored, and, we, and even we ourselves becoming like these well-watered gardens which nourish for generations to come. Beautiful imagery kind of imagery and reality that we could use right now. But a challenge for us today, says UCC preacher Catherine Matthews, as we imagine ourselves as people of faith or as the wider church being a light shining in the world, is that, unfortunately, people of faith in the church itself are often seen as obstructions to what is best for the world. Right? We're often seen as irrelevant or judgmental, hypocritical, and even arrogant, we're seen as actually blocking the light. And there's some truth to that. Right? And we need to own that. We need to own that. And so maybe Jesus' words of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near as a word for us in the church today as well. Repent, turn from this over-concern with merely religious duties in return to the real religion, Jesus and the prophets call us to to see and notice what matters to God. To live in peace 
and injustice with each other. Jesus also said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt had great value in ancient times. It was used, of course, as a preservative for foods and a flavor enhancer as it is today. It was used in making covenants. And the word salary is derived from the Latin salarium, which is associated with Roman soldiers who were paid, at least in part, in salt, according to the Roman historian Pliny the Elder. And so this connection to pay perhaps has given rise to the phrase being worth one salt, being worth one salt. So salt had a lot of value and being able to preserve your food was critical in those days in order to have anything to eat, period. And the importance of it being used as income highlights how critical and valuable it was. In other words, Jesus is saying, you are critical to the well-being of your community. You are critical to the well-being of this project called humanity. And I put you there to preserve it, enhance it, and make it an even better flavor than it already is. So I was thinking about salt and light. I was thinking again on how fear seems to drive so much of today's thinking and actions. And when we do that, I think we put our light under a basket. We're afraid, so we arm ourselves in case our homes aren't safe. We're afraid, so we think building walls will keep us safer from people we haven't met yet. We're afraid, so we imagine that only people who speak our language or have a certain orientation or a particular skin tone or an impressive enough economic situation, only these people are safe and can be trusted. Fear causes us to do things like keep an official list of all the crimes committed by immigrants to raise even more fears. I was thinking that in these times of fear, one way of shedding light, perhaps, is by celebrating and highlighting the good things done by immigrants or refugees or anyone else under threat. So I was reading about a few uh, immigrants who have had an impact on our nation. John Muir was a world-famous naturalist born in Dunbar, Scotland in 1838 and moved with his family to Portage, Wisconsin at the age of 11. His observations of nature sharpened as he and his brother would explore the beautiful countryside, studied at the University of Wisconsin, went on to study glaciers, and his writings about the Sierra became very popular. He also wrote a series for Century Magazine explaining the devastation on open spaces caused by ranch animals. And this led Congress in 1890 to create Yosemite National Park. Muir also helped establish the Grand Canyon, Sequoia, Petrified Forest, and Mount Rainier National Parks. He founded the Sierra Club to protect these areas and is today remembered as the father of our national park system. John Muir, an immigrant. Or we could think of Joseph Pulitzer, the son of a Jewish father and a Catholic mother who came from Hungary in 1847 and would go on to set the standard for editorial and newspaper excellence, so much so that we have a set of prizes, journalistic prizes, named after him. 
Joseph Pulitzer, an immigrant. Or Mother Mary Harris-Jones, born in Ireland, and despite losing her husband and all of her children to a typhoid epidemic, went on to fight for the rights of workers, enduring jail and death threats, and working all the way to her death near the age of 100 years old. Now, of course, we have a magazine named after Mother Jones, speaking towards justice. Mother Jones an immigrant. Or Albert Einstein, born in Germany and emigrated from Switzerland and became the greatest physicist of the 20th century. He advised President Roosevelt of the dangers of the atomic bomb and begged him not to use it. And he spent the last years of his life working for peace. He died in 1955. Albert freaking Einstein. <laughs> an immigrant. And of course, there are thousands and thousands of wonderful men and women, moms and dads, teachers and doctors, field workers and electricians, students and business owners from Yemen, from Iraq, from Iran, from Somalia, Sudan, Libya, Syria, Mexico, and many, many other nations. Let's shine a light by celebrating the gifts of these folks among us and working to make our nation and our communities places of welcome. How else might we shine our light? Maybe through being willing to set aside our agenda, like the painter in our story. Maybe we thought we were going to do this, but the invitation is to do that and to simply be present with someone who needs us. It might be through being a patient and kind parent, neighbor, spouse, friend, might be using gifts that you have of art or organization or something else. It might be organizing people around a certain issue of justice. And it may be simply sitting quietly, evaluating, learning, discerning, wondering, being slow to react, and even slower to overreact. It might be through communities of faith not being so worried about offending someone's political views that they end up saying nothing at all. These days we need to be willing to say things. It'll be you being authentically you because when you are shining, it can't help but kindle the lights in those around you. So there are many ways for us to let our lights shine, and it isn't just a, all about us. Look at this great light I am here shining, right? But yet at some level it is about you, about this incredible, uniquely gifted, precious creation that can impact the world in a way no one else can. God has given you gifts unique to you, and we all are the better when you recognize and use those gifts. And it is also, Jesus says, so that people can see us shining and say, if that person is shining like that, imagine what God must be like. Wouldn't that be a nice change of pace? As we've noted, a lot of folks are leaving church these days 
because they're getting a different picture. But how awesome would it be for people to say, wow, God must be pretty amazing. Look at all these Christians shining with their love of peace and inclusion and welcome. Holy cow. That must speak to something even bigger. But in the end, it may be as simple as this. You were made to shine. What is it that lights you up? What is it that makes you feel connected, appreciated, and energized? Do that thing. So often we box ourselves into who we have to be or who we're supposed to be. Right? We have so many narratives from society, from friends, from family, saying, do this, don't do that. And sometimes we spend so much time listening to all these outside voices that we miss our own voice within. Anne Lamott said, lighthouses don't go running all over an island looking for boats to save. They just stand there shining. Not actually sure what that means, but it felt like it fit there. Uh, just be honest. But I think she's saying, right, just be the thing that you were made to be, right? Just be the thing you were made to be. Joseph Campbell said it this way, when the world seems to be falling apart, the rule is to hang on to your own bliss. It's that life that survives. And of course, this quote, which maybe we've heard too many times, but it's still good. Howard Thurman, variously attributed to others. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do that because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Shine in a way that God has made you to shine because otherwise you're going to burn right out. Well, unless you live in a cave, and actually if you live in a cave, you're probably still on Twitter, so <laughs> you know that we are living in some difficult, contentious, and potentially dark times. What better time for us to hear this call of Jesus, to let our lights shine. And so don't hide yourself, friends. Shine your light. Don't be afraid to light it up. Shine in a way that only you can. And if enough of us shine together, perhaps we'll not only see our way through these difficult times ahead, but we'll feel the warmth and love of God with us and each other's company as we light our way together. Amen. And namaste.
May you know that the world is too dark to be lit by only one candle, and so may you have the courage to shine your light. And as you go, may the very light of God shine upon you and in you and through you. Amen. Go in peace. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.